You're listening to Comedy Central. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. I'm Trevor Noah. Today is Monday, the 26th of October, which means if you live in Washington, Colorado, or Montana, you only have an hour left to request a mail-in ballot. One hour. There's no excuse not to do it. No excuse. Unless you're a baby, then you have an excuse. But also in that case, why are you watching the show? If you're not in bed by now, how do you plan to wake your parents up at 2 a.m.? You gotta focus, baby! Anyway, coming up on tonight's show, Donald Trump is giving up. The party is officially at the early voting line, and I talk to the boss himself, Bruce Springsteen. So let's do this, people. Welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. From Trevor's couch in New York City to your couch somewhere in the world, this is the Daily Social Distancing Show with Trevor Noah. Ears edition. Let's kick it off with the big story. Election day is now just eight days away. So at this point, my friends, you can forget about getting in shape for it because election day bodies are made during the primaries. But this year more than ever, voters are not waiting for the first Tuesday in November to cast their ballots. The record number of Americans taking advantage of early voting across the country. In states reporting data, an unprecedented 57 million ballots have already been cast. That's more than 40% of the total votes counted in the 2016 general election. At one of New York City's premier venues, long lines snaking around the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, while marching bands drum up excitement. Incredible turnout to see these lines. I've never seen this before in my life. It turns out Americans don't even have to be earthbound to vote. U.S. astronaut Kate Rubens cast her absentee ballot with a little help from Mission Control from the International Space Station. I think it's really important for everybody to vote, and if we can do it from space, uh, then I believe folks can do it from the ground, too. Okay, that is super cool. An astronaut voted in space? Wow! I mean, it's weird that she still had to wait in line for like 10 hours, but yo, that is cool. Also, I don't know if this is the kind of story that would inspire people to vote just because an astronaut did. I mean, it's easier to vote in space. What do you have? Nothing. No responsibilities. You know, down here, we gotta work. You gotta check Instagram every 10 minutes. In space, you just float around. You do backflips. You talk to some guy named Houston, occasionally poop in a bag that's taped to your ass. You're living the dream. And guys, I'm happy that astronauts can vote, but America has to ask itself about its priorities when it's easier for a white lady in space to cast her ballots than an old black lady in Georgia. I mean, just look at the lines down on Earth. Have you seen these lines? The lines look so long. Forget buying new Air Jordans. It looks like people are lining up to buy Michael Jordan. I've heard they've only got one, but I'm hoping they make an exception. I wanna get the baseball version, but what's amazing is that even with all the long lines, even with the suppression, America is still hitting record levels of early votes. There were so many early votes that the president could already have been decided and we just don't know it. It's like the week before Christmas when your parents had already bought your gift and you just weren't allowed to find out what it is. So it could be a brand new president or it's the same one as last time. I shook the box and it grabbed me by the pussy. And with election day so close, the big issue on everyone's mind is still the coronavirus pandemic, which is funny because when you think about it, this whole year, everyone has been waiting for an October surprise. And it turns out the October surprise is that we're still talking about the same shit we were talking about in March. Surprise! So. With America now seeing more daily infections than ever before and hospitalizations rising in many states, the two candidates are staking out 
their positions on COVID-19. Last week, Democratic candidate Joe Biden announced that he will push a nationwide mask mandate, deploy the Defense Production Act to drive the manufacture of PPE, and begin testing 7 million people each day. And then, President Donald Trump revealed his take on the pandemic. Boring. That's all I hear about now. That's all I hear, turn on television, right? COVID, 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 COVID. A plane goes down, 500 people dead, they don't talk about it. COVID, 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 COVID. I can safely say that I've never seen a world leader get bored of a crisis. Also, it's weird that Donald Trump is saying this when he's the one still talking shit from 2015. COVID, 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 I'm so bored. Why isn't anyone talking about Hillary's emails? Keep up with the times, people. But hey, shout out to COVID for helping Trump understand what we've felt for the past five years. Every time we switch on the TV and heard his name, Trump, 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 always Trump. Oh, and by the way, maybe the reason the news isn't talking about the plane that went down with 500 people is because there was no plane that went down with 500 people. And if you think 500 pretend people dying is big news, remember that almost a thousand real people a day are still dying from COVID, COVID, COVID. I mean, if you're gonna bullshit us, at least make the numbers work. Have a fake airplane crash into another fake airplane that goes down and crashes into a pretend petting zoo and then the animals get out and more like 600 more fake people. That way, you get close to the COVID numbers for today. I mean, seriously, how does this president still not get it? People are still talking about COVID because people are still dying from COVID. Imagine if the captain of the Titanic had this attitude. All anyone's talking about is drowning, 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 as if tonight's not all you can eat shrimp night at the dining hall. Now, I know what you're thinking. If Trump is tired of hearing about COVID on the TV news, well, there's actually something that he could do about it. Just turn off the TV. But even that might not work because these days, the news is coming from inside the house. This morning, concerns of another coronavirus outbreak at the White House after five of Vice President Mike Pence's associates, including his chief of staff, test positive for COVID-19. His chief of staff, Mark Short, was with the vice president on every campaign stop last week, including Friday night at a rally in Ohio. Short now in isolation and experiencing symptoms. Pence's body man, a personal assistant who accompanies him virtually everywhere, a political aide who recently traveled with Pence on Air Force Two, along with two other staffers. But CDC guidelines call for a 14-day quarantine after exposure to the virus. A spokesman saying Pence will continue to travel as planned, quote, in accordance with the CDC guidelines for essential personnel. Critics say campaigning for office does not qualify as essential. Wow. Vice President Mike Pence, the head of the Coronavirus Task Force, has COVID all over his office. This is like finding out that the Flash came in second in a marathon. I don't care what African country that guy was from, you're supposed to be the Flash. Although, I mean, technically, this is one way to keep track of COVID-19. You know what they say, keep your friends close and the coronavirus even closer. Honestly though, people, I'm not mad at Pence. I'm just disappointed in him. Because I get Trump not following the rules. We know he can't read, but don't tell me that Mike Pence can't follow strict protocols. I mean, that dude's rules about being around women are more complicated than the rules for meeting the queen. Again, I apologize, your majesty. I thought you were trying to chop my neck off so that you could become Highlander, and that's why I fought you. Now, if Pence 
hasn't caught corona. This is actually some really good information for us to learn about the virus. Because now we know that you can get the virus if you're breathing the same air as someone who is positive, but you clearly can't catch the virus if you spend all your time kissing that person's ass. And it's wild that even after he's been exposed to the virus, Mike Pence is still going to campaign. Yeah. I mean, it's a terrible idea. And honestly, I think it'll backfire because who the hell is going to a rally with Mike Pence if that might give you coronavirus? And yeah, I know people go to Trump rallies after he got COVID, but that's Trump. His rallies are fun. That's worth getting corona for. No one wants to get corona from Mike Pence, especially because he already makes you feel like you have corona. Yeah, you know, after he talks, you're exhausted. It's hard to breathe and you just want to lie down. But it turns out there's actually a very good reason that the White House isn't following guidelines for preventing the spread of the virus. They just don't want to. And the White House sounds like they are admitting that they have given up on trying to stop the spread of coronavirus. Chief of Staff Mark Meadows telling CNN, quote, we are not going to control the pandemic. Here's what we have to do. We're not going to control the pandemic. We are going to control the fact that we get uh, vaccines, therapeutics, and other mitigation. Why are we going to get control the because, pandemic? But because it is a contagious virus, just like the flu. Yeah, but- Interesting. So the plan is to just let coronavirus spread freely throughout America. It's interesting how zen Trump's people are about this, you know, because with an immigrant child who came over the border, they're like, zero tolerance, one is too many, we have to deport. But with a virus that's killing hundreds of thousands of Americans, they're like, look, man, the virus is just trying to make a better life in our lungs. Who are we to stop it? All right, when we come back, we continue our epic countdown of Donald Trump's top 100 scandals and Stay tuned, because Bruce Springsteen is gonna be on the show. Welcome back to The Daily Social Distancing Show. Last week, we began counting down the biggest scandals of President Trump's first term. But there's still a lot to go. So here's Roy Wood Jr. with part two of Donald Trump's 100 Most Tremendous Scandals. What does it take to be the worst? Luck, talent. Jared Kushner is your top advisor. Donald Trump has all of these and it's helped make him the most scandal-ridden president in American history. But which of these scandals is the best of the worst? The Daily Show consulted historians, political scientists, and psychoanalysts. And we ignored all of those people and pulled something out of our ass. This is Donald Trump's 100 most tremendous scandals. And we're picking up right where we left off at number 75. This was the largest audience to ever witness an inauguration, period. Alternative facts. Whether they may have had some kind of Russian money funneling through them to help Trump. Tax dollars to travel by private jet. The $43,000 soundproof phone booth and a sweetheart deal on a $50 a month Capitol Hill rental from a lobbyist. $139,000 price tag for new doors. High-end, taxpayer-funded dinners. A $300 million contract. Worked for a place that marketed a masculine toilet for well-endowed men. It's a wonderful line. I own some of it. Go buy it today. Kellyanne, what was my temperament yesterday? Very calm, no temper tantrum. Purging the government of perceived enemies. Pushed through Jared and Ivanka's security clearance. 
businesses using private email servers. Sweetheart deal to Jeffrey Epstein. Abuse allegations from both of his former wives. The raid has continued to court political controversy, particularly with regards to the death of the Navy SEAL. I said, you gotta clean your floors, you gotta clean your forests. Urging his millions of Twitter followers to boycott an American company. I said, please don't be too nice. Shoot migrants in the legs, fortifying a border wall with a water-filled trench stocked with snakes or alligators. They want more people in their sanctuary cities. Well, we'll give them more people. We can give them a lot. Crazy Elizabeth Warren, or as I affectionately call her, Pocahontas. Obama wiretapped him in Trump Tower. That came from a Breitbart article that was a total conspiracy theory. I know nothing about QAnon. I just told you. I know very little. You told me, but what you tell me doesn't necessarily make it fact. Damn, that's exhausting. And you thought you weren't getting anything done at the office. Well, that brings us to tonight's final scandal, coming in at number 51. It involves Twitter, a Category 5 hurricane, and the worst use of a Sharpie since your college roommate drew a Nature's Fury. In September of 2019, a storm was brewing in the Atlantic. Hurricane Dorian making its way toward the United States. Forecasters expecting it to make a dramatic turn to the north. I'm not sure that I've ever even heard of the Category 5. I knew it existed. The Category 5 is something that uh, I don't know that I've ever even heard the term other than I know it's there. But Hurricane Dorian was nothing compared to the tempest about to blow the roof off the Oval Office. Hurricane Donald. The National Weather Service had to scramble to correct misinformation from President Trump about Dorian. President Trump tweeted, in addition to Florida, South Carolina, North Carolina, Georgia, and Alabama will most likely be hit much harder than anticipated. The National Weather Service corrected the president, saying Alabama will not see any impacts from Dorian. Suddenly, America was caught between two claims. But who to believe? Scientists who have dedicated their lives to the study of weather patterns? or a man who thinks wind is caused by birds flapping too hard. This is a tough hurricane. One of the wettest we've ever seen from the standpoint of water. As the people of Alabama braced for either massive destruction or slightly overcast skies, there was still time to avoid disaster. All President Trump had to say was, sorry, I was wrong. The hurricane is not going to hit Alabama. Alabama's gonna get a piece of it, it looks like. It is a very, very powerful Hurricane. A great place. It's called Alabama, and Alabama could even be in for at least some very strong winds and something more than that it could be. That's right. Although the experts tried to make Trump understand, he had already boarded up his ears. Hurricane Dorian had moved on, narrowly missing Alabama by 600 miles, but Hurricane Donald was just forming. After seeing an ABC News report on his mistake, Trump gained new strength tweeting such a phony hurricane report by lightweight reporter john carl of abc news it was a direct attack on science and also on twitter user jonathan carl who is a kentucky pastor and not abc news anchor john carl an innocent victim of hurricane donald over the next 36 hours hurricane donald seemed to die down but then it returned this time with a sharpie in a White House video released Wednesday, Trump displays a modified National Hurricane Center forecast. The graphic appears to have been altered with a Sharpie to indicate a risk the storm would move into Alabama. I know that Alabama was in the original forecast. They actually gave that a 95% chance. That's right. Donald Trump tried to redraw a map with a Sharpie. Have some respect for our intelligence. At least learn Photoshop. 
But what if the culprit wasn't Trump at all? That map that you showed us today looked like it almost had like a Sharpie. I don't know. I don't know. It was a real mystery. Who could have possibly taken a Sharpie to a hurricane map? It had to be someone with an almost pathological obsession with using the permanent markers, as if they needed their marks to be the boldest, the loudest, the most permanent. But who? There would be no way to know for certain. The storm raged for days, growing in strength until it became a Category 5 tweet storm. Government agencies that most Americans had never even heard of were transformed into hazardous projectiles by the game. Secretary of Commerce Wilbur Ross threatened to fire top employees at NOAA on Friday after the agency's Birmingham office contradicted Trump's claim. What began as one bad tweet had escalated into a full-scale political scandal with not one, not two, but three government investigations. Like a Sharpie drawing a fake path of a hurricane, it's a scandal that simply can't be erased. All because there was a hurricane over a year ago that had a 5 to 20% chance of hitting Alabama, but ultimately didn't. I remember Sharpie Gate very well, although I like to call it Benghazi. That's all the time we have for tonight. Join us next time as we explore the world of porn stars, Little Rocket Man, and five different flavors of racism as we continue to count down Donald Trump's 100 most tremendous scandals. All right, we have to take a quick break, but we don't want you to go anywhere because when we come back, I'll be talking to the legend, Bruce Springsteen. Welcome back to the Daily Social Distancing Show. Earlier today, I spoke with the legendary musician, Bruce Springsteen. We talked about his new album and documentary, the upcoming election, and so much more. Bruce Springsteen, welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. Thank you very much. <laughs> it is truly an honor to have you here because you are not just an artist. You are not just a successful artist, but in many ways, people would say that you write the story of America in your music. You've been extremely su successful doing it. I mean, 20 Grammys, two Golden Globes, a Tony Award, an Oscar. <laughs> At this stage of your life, what do you think Bruce Springsteen is still trying to tell people through his music? <laughs> I'm just trying to keep going. <laughs> At 71? <laughs> I'm just trying to make it to the next record and the next show, you know? But uh, I don't know. I guess... If someone was interested in sort of a little bit of cataloging the history of the United States since, say, 1970 and its post-industrial post period uh, in music, uh, looking for music that dealt with some of the issues that have occurred over the past 40 or 50 years, you know, there's they could do worse than go and dig into some of my stuff, I suppose, you know? So if I've been good for anything, maybe maybe I've been good for that a little bit. And then the rest of the time, I'm just trying to entertain you and help you do your wash and your, your laundry and vacuum your floor and dance a little bit in the kitchen. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, we're, we're here to soothe your soul through troubled times a little bit if we can. And, and that's how I look at my job. One thing that, that makes your job so interesting, or rather the execution of your job, is that it feels like you're talking about everybody's lives, everybody's society, what you see going on. I mean, you've written music about police brutality 
many, many years ago that if someone played that song today, they'd go like, oh, you wrote it about now. But when you, when you look at those themes, I've always wanted to know, like, what do you think you're trying to get across to the listener? What do you think the music is trying to achieve? Is it just to shine a light on the subject or is it to also infuse a little bit of your politics and, and what, you, what you experience in and around the world? I suppose it's a little bit of both. You know, it's the way you see things and and how you're experiencing them. And I, I, there's a part of me that says, if you were interested in knowing what it was like to be uh, a citizen of the United States between 1970 and 2020, like I said, you know, you that that may be in my work a little bit. Uh, a lot of the times, I, you're just written. You just write what moves you, what and 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 then, but also, it you you write what you are able to write about because very often I don't I don't operate from the conceptual uh, from a conceptual place first. I operate sort of internally first, and then and and then it becomes outward. So a song, say like American Skin, that I wrote in. 1998 about the Amadou Diallo shooting uh, is can feel current today, you know, but it was just something at the time I remember I was thinking we were coming to New York. I wanted to have a new piece of music and that was uh, that had recently occurred and and I was just able to write about it. So so I did, you know, I didn't. I didn't think it was going to be uh, particularly controversial at the time. It ended up being a little more so than I thought. But uh, but that's kind of how I approach things. The political aspect in my music is more is is, is through implication. Mm-hmm. I try to write good. I try to write good three dimensional character studies where I bring uh, lives to life, you know, and create and create. Uh, breathing, living human beings that you you will recognize in in my music, and then I kind of let the politics speak for itself. You know, uh, uh, of course, some of your own comes through, but but I really I I I wouldn't cons- I don't consider myself a topical songwriter. I don't consider myself a political songwriter. If anything, at this at this late age, I I would say I'm. Uh, I'm a little more. I've been saying I've been a little bit more of a spiritual songwriter in that. That's uh, what's sort of been driving my some of my most recent work. So uh, uh, that's that's basically the way I look at my job and, and and what I do. I think that's one of the more fascinating things about you is that you you always refer to it as a job. You know, even even in the documentary, I, I loved how you've reunited the E Street Band. Here you are you know, 50 years from the inception of this idea. And you guys are jamming and you, you play for a very long time. And, and I love that you, 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 say to the, you say to the guys, you're like, guys, we, this is our job. We have a job to do. And everyone's talking about a job and it's work. And it, you guys are having a great time, but it's like you're working. It's like we're working, we're getting the chords, we're doing the thing. Why do you think you work so hard? It may seem like an obvious question, but why do you think you work so hard and play for so long to make the songs what they are? I just like to do it, you know. It's the way that I've uh, <laughs> the way that I've enjoyed doing my job since I was a very, very young young man. You know, when I was 
18 or 19, I was used to playing five hours a night in a, in a bar. So I was very used to that kind of playing very early in my, in my work life. And I also felt I was desperate to communicate. And, and, and I just as starting from when I was young, I felt there was a lot I wanted to talk to you about right now. And I don't know what tomorrow brings, but I know that this evening we're all here and we're in this room. So I'm interested in making the most of my opportunity to speak to you tonight. And that drove me more than anything else. It's something I've just always enjoyed. I've enjoyed doing. When I come off stage, I feel a release and a catharsis that occurs through that kind of work. And I don't think, uh, uh, and that's what's that's just what's driven me, you know. And so it's really it's really what drives you and and how you approach your job. And and I always approached it as as this very sort of I would say joyous work. You know, I've gotten a tremendous amount of joy out of it. Uh, we're serious when we when we get on when we get on the stage or when we come in the studio. Um, so there's not exactly what I would call a party atmosphere, <laughs> I suppose, you know, but it's a work atmosphere where there's an enormous amount of happiness and joy in simply, in simply what we're accomplishing. Don't go away because when we come back, we've got more with Bruce Springsteen. Welcome back to the Daily Social Distancing Show. Here's part two of my interview with Bruce Springsteen. For a long time, your music has been the catharsis. You, you have seen people who have felt unseen. You have spoken about towns that are forgotten in time. You've spoken about industries and places and people that, that, that seem to have been completely forgotten. And yet at the same time, you have as big a following on the coast. You, you, you cross you know, all walks of life. I, I, I wonder if you ever sit and ask yourself why you think you do so well with such a broad swath of people. Well, I would say first and foremost, I'm a good storyteller, you know, and people like stories and they like stories that connect to their inner geography. Your inner geography may or may not have to do with anything you've experienced or not experienced. It's simply the geography of your emotional life. And I believe I've, I've done well at speaking to that, you know, and our largest audience is in Europe. We have two-thirds of our, of, of our audience exists in Europe now. Much, 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 much bigger than the United States. And uh, so why is that? I think I'm a good storyteller, you know? And I think in Europe, people are very interested in America and American myth and, and what's going on over here. And... Uh, those are the stories I've told since I since I was a young man, and but really I believe what's at the heart of it is is people like your music. They like the way it sounds. They like the way you sing, and they like the stories you tell. You tell stories that some people cannot tell for themselves. You know, I'm I, I always loved listening to your music because I felt like it took me on a journey through what people refer to as the heartland of America. What I've also been intrigued by in your music is how people oftentimes miss the meaning of your music, misconstrue your music, or have a completely different understanding 
of what the music is. So, so for for instance, a great example is like Born in the USA. You know, like people play it in 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 a, in a way that the, when you listen to the lyrics, you're like, well, this doesn't seem like w- how people are dancing. Like people are like, yeah, this is a song about let's take over the world. I'm born in the USA, and and your song seems to be more like it's like it's like you're questioning this this whole idea of what America is doing in the Vietnam War. In and again, it can translate to what's happening today. Do you? How do you feel about that when people are playing your song for like the opposite reason that you wrote the song for? <laughs> Well, in this particular case, <laughs> this is my cross to bear, so I try to bear it with a smile. But uh, <laughs> but I think what the issue is, is that uh, the key to some of my music is you need to be able to hold two contradictory ideas in your mind at the same time, which is sort of the measure, a bit of the measure of adulthood. So you need to be able to deal with the fact that a song can be both prideful and critical. And that idea is very central to a lot of my music because that's how I feel, you know? I'm proud of my country. I, I, I've, I've had an amazing life and gotten the best out of it through living here but there's a lot to continue to be critical about. So both of those things are going into my music. It's a bit up to the listener to listen well if you want to get the whole picture. But to do so, you've really got to be able to hold the idea pride and criticalness can go hand in hand. Let's talk about being critical then. You came out in an interview recently and said, um, if Trump wins a second term, you'll move to Australia. I, 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 I don't think that's true, right? It just didn't feel like that's something you would do. Well, I don't think I'm going to go there, but I'm not sure yet. <laughs> so, so we'll see. But, uh, uh, you know, I'll be glad to see him go. I think he's going to lose, and I'll be glad to see that happen. We've got, we've got a new album from Bruce Springsteen. We've got a documentary. We've got so many pieces of material that we can enjoy of yours right now. You've got new music that's just come out. You've got a few tracks that you've previously unreleased tracks from you know, decades and decades ago that, you, that you've remade for today. It feels like you've always been sure about yourself. It feels like you're prolific because you know that you have something to say. But I wonder, when you create, do you still have doubts sometimes? Well, any good artist, it wrestles with their insecurities. It's your insecurities that move you forward. If you were simply comfortable with, completely comfortable with who you are and what you're doing and where you've done, I, I don't know if you would have the fire in you to move forward. It's your doubts and your questions and your searching for new and different answers that move you forward in your work. So I would describe myself, do I have more artistic security than I had when I was 23? In some ways, but I don't believe that that necessarily had anything to do with the quality of the music that I was writing. I can look back and say when I was 25, I made this record Born to Run, and it's as good as any record I've ever made. I made it, wrote, wrote it when I was 24 years old. I've got songs on this album that I wrote when I was 22 years old, before 
I made any record before we recorded any any music, and there was three of them that ended up on this record. So, so those things I don't necessarily influence the quality of your artistic output, uh, but I do believe that that your your doubts and questions and insecurities do move your work forward, do keep you questioning, do keep you searching, and that's at the key of artistic uh, uh, progression. My final question to you is. As someone who was born to run, someone who's always been on the road, someone who has performed <laughs> thousands of concerts all around the globe, what have you been doing during the pandemic? I am born to sit still <laughs> at the moment. So I'm doing what everybody else is doing, you know? I mean, I'm, we, we stay inside a lot. Uh, you know, we have a few friends that we're careful, we see, we're social distancing, you know, we're... And uh, lucky, luckily enough, I have a studio at my home, which we're, I'm in right now. And I've had a variety of projects to keep me busy. I had the film, I had the album, which we started po uh, pre-pandemic. Uh, and I have a radio show that I do bi-weekly, basically, which I've enjoyed doing and has allowed me to continue the conversation with my audience during this strange and... Uh, uh, during these strange times, but uh, you know, I mean, I've been lucky that, like I say, that I can work at home. That, uh, uh, of course, I'm ex extremely fortunate that I don't have some of the the worries that 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 uh, other folks have, and that uh, as far as getting through tomorrow or the next day or next year, you know. But uh, our circumstances have sort of been. Uh, uh, you know, Pat, I got you know my fam. I'm lucky enough to have my family here, so. And it's, uh, we've just been holding on like everybody else. Well, I appreciate you. Um, it's been a wonderful journey for me going through your body of music, getting ready for this interview. So uh, uh, you've got a brand new fan. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thanks, Trevor. Thank you so much again for that, Bruce. The album Letter to You is available now and you can stream the documentary on Apple TV+. Well, that's our show for tonight. But before we go, I wanted to remind you that we're partnering with World Central Kitchen for their new Chefs for the Poles program. What they're doing is activating local food trucks, restaurants, and caterers owned and operated primarily by people of color to serve food to people who are waiting in long lines, especially in underserved communities. Until tomorrow, stay safe out there, wear a mask, and remember, if you're voting early, you don't know what supplies your polling place might have, so bring your own pen and your own drumline. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.